getting good at the art of starting without starting is great. I'd like to welcome Mike Pacquion to the Productivityist Podcast. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Mike Vardy, I've been dreaming of this. Really? That's you yeah. know what? We met at uh, South by Southwest years ago, like yeah. years ago, after a panel discussion that uh, that I did with Mark and Angel Sharonoff, who've been on the show, who will be listed in the show notes, and Craig Jarrow, the Time Management Ninja, who we share a publisher now, which is kind of cool. And it was one of those things where I didn't, you know, we kind of crossed paths. We had we ended up having uh, dinner together. Um, which was kind of yeah. cool. Um, and it was, I think my first time in Austin. So my first time in Austin was like doing this talk, meeting some, and th- we're talking like, this is like six, I think six years ago at this point, right? Five, five years. I think this is like 2012 probably. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a, no, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been cause I would turn 40. So I would have been, it would have been, it would have been five, only, only about six years ago now yeah. as we're recording this. But the reason that this is, this episode is going to be largely more for me, I would say is because, uh, I, I have the ability to improv. I have an yes. improv training background. And one of the things that I've struggled with is the crafting of a talk in a way that taking the proper amount of time to craft a presentation because I've used those improvisational skills mm-hmm. as a, a I won't say crutch, but as a, taking them for granted and saying, well, because I can improv, I can nail a right. talk. I want it right out of the gate. Why is that assumption absolutely incorrect? because you have an improv background you will do better than most people who quote unquote wing it almost everybody you'll do better than almost everybody when they wing it but the problem is (laughs) almost nobody does well winging it (laughs) so (laughs) even with an improv background i i always tell people like stand-up comedians are the the very best in public at least the good stand-up comedians are the very best in public speaking well think of what a stand-up comedian does Chris Rock, Seinfeld, like name your favorite person. They have a thousand takes before the one that you see. And they figured out like the exact wording and they figured out the pauses and they figured out uh, when they need to walk and when they need to interact with the audience. Like they figured all that stuff out so that it appears natural in the moment. Um, People with improv backgrounds can do a pretty good job of never embarrassing themselves, but they miss out on giving the very best speech that they could give. Yeah. One of the things that I've always felt, and I think that presenters, this is not, this is not unusual for anyone, but you're always going to be your own worst critic. And that's one of the things I've always felt is like, you know, in instances where I haven't done enough preparation that I've always felt, I could have done that so much better. If only I had taken the time to do this X, Y, Z. And you're right. Like, um, improv is the genesis of sketch, right? So if ske- sketch comedians, they take something that they've improvised, go, okay, we need to fine tune it. We need to write it. We need to create, because one of the things that, and you've, you and I've talked about this before is, you know, I, I can ramble because that's what improvisers can do is they, yeah. they get on a tangent and they can go. So if someone was going to craft a presentation, whether it's like a big speech and, and, you know, I've, you know, you work with people that do this stuff. You you worked with yeah. not too long ago. You worked with Amy Porterfield. You know, I mean, uh-huh. you've worked working with, with her again right now. Right? Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of. I mean, there's you've worked with some pretty incredible people putting on pretty pretty incredible presentations. When someone is thinking about putting on a presentation, whether it's for a big main stage or just hey, we're going to do it in front of the office and, and it's a small presentation. Yeah. How? What are the steps? Like, how much time should they consider taking into account when they're putting something together like that? Yeah, and my answer for you really depends on how perfectionist you want to be about it, because there is the, 
<laughs> there's sure. the other side of that, which is tightening up a little thing on a slide that nobody's going to see, right? There's that, but that happens less frequently than the, well, this is good enough version. Mm -hmm. What most people do is, uh, well, here are some bullets and they tell me, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good off script. That's what everybody says. But what they really mean is I have less anxiety off script. And the reason why they have less anxiety off script is because there's nothing to judge them against. So there's, <laughs> yeah, there's, it's nothing, true. there's nothing for the teacher to be circling in the back of the room because there's no script. Right. That's, that's what they mean. Um, the time it takes to plan a talk, like, here's what I will say. Uh, for a talk that matters, I mean, like, you could win a lot of business or you could, you, prestige could really build. Uh, zero to 60, that, that's 10 hours probably. Mm -hmm. uh, I went back and looked. I, I worked with Pat Flynn years ago and the number, of, we, Pat and I had 21 phone calls about a talk that he gave at, I think it was Blog World. Yeah, he's notorious for rehearsing. Notorious. Yeah. Now, I think both of us have gotten more efficient with it. Sure. But, like, that just gives you an idea. If the talk matters, you should put time into it. Mm -hmm. um, my starting point, so it's, it's tricky, Mike, because especially people like you and me who, we always want to fast forward to, like, oh, how can I make this funny? Or, like, how can I make this creative? And, and it's great to have those things. Like, those are the things that make the speech memorable to your audience. But the starting point really needs to be, in one sentence, what am I trying to accomplish? Like, let me summarize this whole thing in a sentence. That's your starting point. And, and by the way, that sometimes takes like two hours to figure out. Uh, sometimes it's day three and you realize, oh, you know what? I'm talking about the wrong thing. Look, <laughs> I thought the speech was about thing A, but it's about thing B. Like that, that happens a lot. But the starting point is always in one sentence, figure out what this is about and then start to brainstorm from there. Now, here's the great news. <clears throat> I'm saying like it should take 10 hours, but once you start getting good at it and like once you're good at it and you have your own way of doing it, right? So your Mike Vardy way of doing it, your Mike Pacquion way of doing it, Mark Chernoff, Angel Chernoff way of doing it, then you can like once you have that system down, you can do it pretty quickly. Uh, for a talk that is of, let's say, medium importance to me, like that can be three hours to me pretty easily and probably even less. Because at this point, I figured out my system of, okay, figure it out, or boil it down to a sentence, brainstorm everything I might want to include. Then once I've got it brainstormed and I start sorting, start sorting it out, then it's like, okay, now let's make this creative. And that doesn't have to take that long. What got you into this? Like, what was the thing that kind of said, hey, because there's a lot of people who wanted, like, who... First off, there's a lot of people who think this is their number one fear, public speaking. So they're, they're like, yeah. there's no way I'm going to do this. But then there's Weird someone is. like you. Yeah, there's someone like you who's like, let me lean in. I'm not just going to do my own talks. I'm going to help other people with this. <laughs> what was the what was the fascination with you uh, for you about this kind of because you're I mean, you're this is what you do now. This is and it's what you've okay. done before. You work, you know, you. So what was the thing that kind of got you into say, I'm going to lean into this hard? Yeah. First of all, I'm joking when I say weirdos. A lot of people are, are anxious about speaking. It's the number one fear. They fear it more than death. Allegedly. Allegedly. That is, not, <laughs> that is not accurate, but I get it. The idea of being in front of people and them all looking at you, and it's not a two-way conversation, I get why that freaks people out. I think one of the reasons why that freaks people out is because they are expecting, the, they are expecting to look out at the audience 
and knowing that like you put all this work into the presentation, they're expecting the audience to be sitting there with big smiles on their faces. It's not what audiences look like. I mean, maybe you make them laugh, like sure, that can happen. What do you look like when you're in an audience? Do you sit there with a big smile on your face when you're trying to learn something? It's not what people look like. Uh, but that freaks people out. Um, the re let me actually answer your question. Why did I lean in on this? Mike, <clears throat> I was so lucky that I found out that this was a thing you could do. I never, it's just that public speaking is the number one fear. The only time I ever had fear of public speaking was when I didn't prepare. So in my mind, that's not a fear of public speaking. That's a fear of being unprepared. So that's the same thing as I didn't study for the test. Right. I mean, that's not, don't blame that on public speaking. Um, but I, so from a sheer, like scared of being in the front of the room, the only time I ever had fear is when I wasn't ready. Going back to third, fourth, fifth grade, we used to do current events in elementary school. I loved standing up. I couldn't understand. Like why would, this is, let's see, I was in fifth grade in like 1989, I think. And we had current events stand in the front of the room, say your current event. And then the class voted on who they thought was the best. People would, and, and this is like you would cut out the newspaper article. People would read the newspaper article. I'm like, what are you doing? We, <laughs> we can do that at home. I just didn't get that that's not, that's not the way most people think. Most people would rather not have the opportunity to put on a show at the front of the room. Um, I got really lucky that, I mean, so communications is always the thing I was real interested in. That was my major in college. That was my grad school major. I loved teaching. I did not love grading. So I was adjuncting. I had a, uh, a guy from Nike who came to one of my classes, asked if I wanted to present at Nike sometime. So this is, I'm a grad school student who's <laughs> got like $327 in the bank, you know? Like, okay, I can present at Nike if you want. Um, and that was, that, was a, that was a key moment for a couple of reasons. I mean, number one is Nike. It's a big deal. It sounds really impressive to people. Uh, <clears throat> number two, it was the first time that I ever felt, I didn't have fear, but I distinctly felt this, what am I supposed to be doing right now? Am I supposed to be, there's a spotlight on me, they're recording it in the back. Am I supposed to be entertaining people? Is this a stand-up show? So after that, I was at a point where I was really trying to figure out what, what can I do with this? Is this something I, because to me, a motivational speaker was never an option because I, like, I have all four limbs and life hasn't been that hard. So motivational speakers in my mind were people who yeah. really had overcome stuff. And, and it's true that, that that's always like, I know that there's been instances and you've seen me do a talk once where I brought something up that I'd never brought up and I haven't brought it up in a talk since that was very personal. And I kind of glossed over it because mm. it was like, okay, so who cares? Like I'm, 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 I'm a white dude that has all my limbs and I've, I mean, I'm middle <laughs> yeah. class. I'm not, I don't have a ton of hardships. So like sometimes you look for that, like, cause you see it in a lot of like, what, okay, where, how can I relate to these people? And sometimes you make that mistake of like, okay, I need to have that, that thing, that tragic story or that, that yeah. thing that I've come back from. And it's like, if you need, in some cases, if you have that, that's, I think that's, that's, that's great. Cause I think that, that there is some inspiration, motivation, but if you don't, I think it's a waste of time to look for that because it, that can become a crutch in and of itself as well. Right. 1000%. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> that said, I didn't know that at the time. 
Sure, sure. You so, just, yeah. So you're like, I can't be a motivational speaker. Totally. To me, I'm like, well, both parents were around. Like, can't do that. Um, haven't maxed out credit cards. What do I do? Long story, a little bit shorter. I uh, found this company. Like, I, I mean, this is just a God smiling on me moment. But I found this company in uh, Silicon Valley called Duarte. That's like the best in the world at training people to give presentations. I was already good at it. And then being able to marry those things, I spent the next seven years traveling the world, helping people to present. And we're talking going to some of the biggest companies in the whole world. We're talking going to, um, like, I presented in places where they had to seize my phone when I went in the door. Couldn't use my own laptop, like top secret type stuff. It, it was pretty awesome. And it's, I think it's a pretty awesome responsibility. There are so many people out there with, like, these amazing ideas and me being able to help them present it in a way that connects with people, that's a, that's a pretty awesome responsibility. So we talked a little bit about how to, you know, the time that it could take to, to really develop. Yeah. And, but if someone wants to get started, like where they're like, I know I want to do this. Like where you said to talk about that one sentence, right? That one yeah. the central idea where like, is there. Are there best practices that you found that are like, okay, you've got this central idea to frame it up from that? Because a lot of people just say, okay, I'm going to put some slides together and, yep. and, you know, bullet points like you've talked about. So, like, if someone's thinking about this and they want to feel prepared, but they don't want to, I mean, we've, there's, and I'll link to it in the show notes, a Sir Ken Robinson talk about like, yeah, yeah. prepare, but just like don't over prepare, right? Because you've got to leave some room for, for, you know, to breathe and that kind of thing. So, what, what are some of the things that you, you, when you work with clients that you say, hey, okay, you're, you're, you've got your central idea. Now here's what you need to do. Like, <clears throat> what should they do next? Is that your question? Yeah, yeah. Like, what, what, like, if, if they're like, I, I have this idea, I've distilled it down to that central yeah. point, but now I want to craft a talk out of it. And yeah. I don't want it to be like me just rambling or me yep. making it so monotone. And I mean, I, I'll give you an example. I was watching, and actually, coincidentally, I was watching uh, on Netflix The Grinder. Have you ever seen that that show, no. The Grinder? It was Rob Lowe. Oh. Yeah, it was oh. the one oh. season. It was around for one season. Oh, Rob man. Lowe and Fred Savage. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so Fred Savage... It was is, too good for TV. It was yeah. too good. But Fred Savage is like the lawyer, that character, but he has like index cards and he reads off of them because he can't... <laughs> which, you know, in a court of law, if you're watching TV shows, it doesn't it, it doesn't lend itself well to any kind of charismatic... You know, you can't convince the jury because you're reading off index cards. But meanwhile, Rob Lowe, who has no knowledge of law whatsoever other than what he learned on the television show he was on, but he had all this charisma. And of course, the way that law shows were portrayed on TV, people were like, oh, they leaned in and they're like, well, tell us more. And he's ah, like, ah, and, ah. And, and the guy's like, he's not a lawyer. Like, what do you do? Like, so there's this war. Um, so how do they find that balance between being the Fred Savage character of like, I know my stuff, but I don't want to be so monotone and, and, and not convincing. And the Rob Lowe character who's super convincing, but has no, like, when no you, it's all, all. It's, it's all sizzle and no steak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> my suggestion, okay, so one of the most common questions that people ask is, should you memorize your talk? And I say, no, but you should script it. Mm -hmm. What I mean, so scripting it will enable you to streamline what you're saying. It'll make things tighter. But if you put all this pressure on yourself to memorize it word for word, you will, you will be the Fred Savage character. Mm -hmm. You'll be up there totally worried. Oh my gosh, I left that word out. Da, 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 and the audience has no idea. They don't know what your script was. Yep. So we're always trying to guard against rambling. We're always trying to guard against having no charisma. That's why I tell people, script the speech, but don't memorize it. So script it, 
when you write it down, that should like translate in your head. Or sorry, <clears throat> when you write it down, that should stick in your head to an extent. And then start practicing it out loud. The best thing to do is to practice it enough that you basically created a keyboard shortcut, but for, I don't know, for your tongue? That sounds weird. No, but, but that makes paid, sense. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, like like it's it's a macro. Like you've got this macro. It's like, okay, I know what this is, and now I can play with it a bit. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both said certain sentences or made certain claims enough that it's like you start talking, and you don't even have to consciously tell your brain to what words to say. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just it shoots out. Yep. It's like auto text. Uh, and that's a like listen, you can't do that for every single talk, but for one that matters, signature talk, those lines that matter, being able to deliver them like that, that that does a world of good for you. All right. So let's let's uh I'm doing I want to do more talks. I'm getting ready to, you know, my book's coming out in my party book tour. Yep. So there'll be a lot of that going on. Um I'll be doing more presentations. I'm doing more YouTube videos too, which also requires some sense of presentation and stuff. And I mean, again, it's that improv background that I've I've struggled so hard against to fight because I, I know I can do it, but yeah. there's also that preparation of scripting and such. So um, is, is there such a thing as I, – I think I, I know the answer to this, but for those listening, they may not know. Like is there such a thing as too many talks? Because I think you want to send so many messages. Like when, when, you, when you're working with somebody, you're like, okay, you have your signature talk. Yeah. Is there a certain amount that you should say, okay, these are the talks that I do and then that's it? Or – you know, you can do a bunch of talks on different topics. Like, what? Where do you kind of say, okay, like hone in a bit? Because, I mean, my thought is, you. I mean, Matt, Jack of all trades, master of none, can totally. become the problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you'll end up finding is that stories from talk one can fit into speed, can spit in, fit into talk two, right? And talk three. But to your point, there is a max number of talks. Well, let me say that differently. If you were going to try to market a number of different talks, that's going to be tricky. I would, I would give yourself three options. Three is a little bit arbitrary. Maybe you can go four, maybe five. Probably three is a good number. Uh, this is the same thing as any other decision you make. When there's a bunch of options, it's confusing to the, to the audience, whether that's looking at the website, whether it's talking on the phone. So I, <clears throat> you can have more than one, but I wouldn't have too many. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. 
We'll get back to my conversation with Mike Pacquion, where we talk about whether or not he recommends people eat before they go on stage, and also what advice he gives to people when they know they have a talk that's at a time that's not the most convenient. But right now, I want to talk about something that can't always be terribly convenient, but it's something that you really need to work on, and that's your fitness. Well, if you're anything like me, you've spent a lot of time trying out different fitness routines. No matter what I tried, I always felt like the workouts were too generic and didn't address my personal needs. I wanted my exercises to fit me and my goals, but I didn't want to spend the money for an expensive personal trainer. And that's when I decided to give Training with Future a try. Now, I've been using Future for the past few weeks now, and I have to say that I love the connection that I have with my personal trainer. Walking me through the entire journey that I'm taking with my fitness is really, really powerful. The workouts are programmed for me every Sunday so I know when I'm supposed to do something and there's also some flexibility within there as well. I've been a bit under the weather and my trainer basically modified the workouts so that way it would work for me but I wouldn't be too stagnant during my time where I wasn't feeling 100%. What Future does is pairs you up with one of their world-class trainers and coaches that create your personalized workout plan tailored specifically to your schedule, your routine, your goals, and your progress. Your coach checks in with you daily, which is absolutely awesome, to keep you on track, sending you texts, making adjustments to your routine, and following your progress logged on your Apple Watch. And if you don't have an Apple Watch, that's no problem. When you sign up to train with Future, they send you everything you need, including an Apple Watch. So don't overpay for a trainer. Get the workouts you need to meet all your fitness goals and take your trainer with you wherever you go with Future. I'm going to Portland this weekend. My trainer's coming along with me. When I'm doing the Big Ready in Vancouver, guess who's coming along with me? My trainer. I want you to sign up for Future today. And when you do, go to future.com slash timecrafting. You'll get your first two weeks with your personal trainer for just one buck. That's one dollar. That's tryfuture.com slash timecrafting for two weeks for only a dollar. Try Future by going to future.com slash timecrafting today. When running a business, HR issues can kill you, whether it's wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all that stuff. It can be really overwhelming when you're running a small business. And HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Well, Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager. You can craft HR policy and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. And with Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. And from onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day -day, all for just $99 a month. It's month to month, there's no hidden fees and you can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help and get your free HR audit today. I have to say, as my business is growing, I would love to be able to use a service like Bambi. I'm in Canada, I can't. That's, a, that's the unfortunate reality of the situation. Where I'm based, I just can't use it. But if I could, I totally would, and now you can too. Go to Bambi.com slash timecrafting right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash timecrafting. Now remember, Bambi is spelled B-A-M to the B-E-E.com slash timecrafting. That's where you need to go. So B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash timecrafting. Get that free HR audit now. 
Well, I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast, which you can do in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you are listening to podcasts. I also love to recommend a podcast regularly every single week. And this week, my pick of the week, my productivity is podcast pick of the week is Rework. It's a podcast by Basecamp about the better way to work and run your business. I've been listening to it off and on for a long time now, but more recently because they're short. I mean, the, the latest episode that I'm looking at right now, which is called Try Everything, it's under 40 minutes. So if you want to get your daily dose of how to run your business and receive some unconventional wisdom from Basecamp's co-founders and other business owners, check out Rework. It's my productivity as podcast pick of the week. Now let's get back to my conversation with Mike Pacione here on the Productivity as Podcast. All right, I yeah. want to shift gears a bit and talk about you and the shift away from from because now you're on your own. I'm on my own, and you also have a new set of circumstances. Yeah, in your home, some people call that a child. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I have two sets of circumstances. You have one. Um, how are you able to, um, as a new new parent, um, and a new and running your own business, really newly running your own business? Yeah. How are you able to? Uh, how are you constructing your time around that? Because you have Mike. to, you have to, and I mean, you're like, I, I don't know. Like you can come back with, I don't know, because uh, you know, there are th winging it is probably, <laughs> this is where the winging it part might come into play. But how are you like, what approach are you taking? Because now that you've got your own business and you're taking your expertise, but you've got this, you know, your family life, I, I think, how are you making those things or trying to make those things work? I feel like you would be so proud of me for actually having a plan. Cause that is, so there was, <clears throat> as of five years ago, there was single Mike who had just unlimited time. I mean, he had a girlfriend, but that was two or three nights a week. Mike could putz around all day and just make up for it 11 at night. No big deal. Then there was married Mike, had less hours. Mike with child. Ooh. <laughs> no hours. It's a thing. Yep. I drop Jess off at 7:45. Drop Luca off at the nanny at eight. Pick Jess up at 4:40, or pick Luca up at 4:45. Pick Jess up at five. There is no time outside of that, so everything has to squish in there. Working out, any reading I want to do, anything at all that's not related to raising a child has to be done during those hours. I have found through like some of your work, reading Daniel Pink, I have realized that. The morning is the part that I need to I need to uh, treat as sacred, like the the eight to eleven hours. And this is consistent with when I had an office job. The mm -hmm. days that I would get into work early, I would get more done by like ten o'clock than the rest of the day. Like, why was I there for the rest of the day? Right, because you had to look like you were there. Um, <clears throat> Mike, I have found that I can do great creative work eight to eleven. Some interruption in there. Uh, and all of my email, talking on the phone, that stuff should happen in the afternoon. Well, and I think, and I think, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, uh, Amy has the same. Like Amy says, she's got her untouchable time in the morning. I think it's in yeah. the morning, right? The afternoon, she's she helps whatever her people need, but in the morning, it's all for her too, right? So that's I think now. Interestingly for me, and we were talking about this before we jumped on the call, is that my mornings have been basically taken up by everybody else. But the afternoon for me is when I'm I'm woken up and at my best. So I, I think that the understanding where that structure is really, really important because if you don't, then yeah, you're going to be at the mercy of and at the whims of wherever your mind is going to take you. Totally. And I mean, like I've so I used to start the day off like a lot of people probably do. Okay, let me check Gmail. Oh, let's see what's on ESPN.com. 
Did anybody post anything interesting on Facebook? That's what everybody does. But that's giving away the best thinking that I do. So now I don't get rid of it. I mean, I'd love to be like, oh, I never go on Facebook. I never read sports articles. No, but I just, I punt it to the afternoon. Way better. Right. Way better for me. So what does a typical Mike Day look like at this point? Because, I mean, it's different now because you've got, because before you were told where to be. But now yeah. you and you you're you're directing yourself with the the knowledge of the fact that if you didn't then you would be told where to be by circumstance. Yeah. Um first of all when a child starts sleeping in a little longer I'd love to be able to get in <laughs> get up at 5 or 6 to work out like that would be a great addition to the schedule. But right now I'm getting up at 5.58 and 6.09 and 6.11 and 6.18. That's actually what it was this morning. Wow. Like, are you kidding? How long has it been? Two minutes. Um, <clears throat> now I forgot your question. Oh, what does an actual day look What's like? What's a typical day at this point look like? Yeah. So uh, I get home about 8.05, 8.10 in the morning. I immediately will start uh, brainstorming on someone's speech that I am helping with. So like... Amy Porterfield's talk when we're recording this is, I think, three weeks away. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm like fine tuning that right now. Like, that's how I started my day today. Um, somewhere around 10 o'clock, I need a break. So that's usually walking the dog. Today, I actually ran with the dog. Uh, most people know this exercise helps you think better, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it's good to get exercise when the rain doesn't screw things up for me. I live in Portland. Yeah, I hear you. I went for a <clears> run yesterday. Uh, and cause it was, the sun was out. And as soon as, if the sun is out on a day, you're like, got to get outside. Cause this could be the yeah. only day for like the next three weeks where I can get That's outside. such a variable. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. like, I'm like, I have a workout that I do at home and I'll actually link to it in the show notes because it's just some, like, I joined a gym and this is important as someone who does talks as well, because it's great for me to be a productivity person, go up on stage and talk about it. We'll come back to the, the, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to like the afternoon part of your day in, in a minute here. And the night. but, um, if I'm on stage saying, hey, you need to do this to be more productive, and I look like I'm overweight and not taking care of myself, people are going to be like, this is what what you're saying I hear, but I'm looking totally. at you going, oh, you know. But so uh, I have the – I was – I think I was flipping around in Flipboard, No, I mean, which is what you do. And Sterling K. Brown from This Is Us had a workout on there. Um, and I'm like, oh, he's in pretty good shape. So let me see what, and it's like a no gym workout. I'm like, okay, great. I have a membership to a gym, but if it's raining, I may not go to the gym because, so I need to have something I can do at home. So every day, like I have this workout time scheduled, my workday will end at two because I have to pick up my son by 2.45. So I have a, from 2.15 to 2.45, I have a window where I'm going to work out. Now that window could be, I'm going to go for a run. If it's sunny, I will go for a run. But if it's not, then I will do this, what he calls this pyramid workout, which is 50 jumping jacks, 40, um, 40, I think it's 40 squats, 30 push-ups, 20 butt-ups, and then 10 burpees, and you're supposed to do that three times. I can't do oh. those three times right now. But it's it's just to – I think right now I'm only – as of this recording, I'm only doing it at one set. Like I can only do one because my body is not ready for that yet. But it's something, and I think that that's the key, right? Like you, And yesterday when I went for the run when it was sunny, two ideas came to mind for yeah. things I want to write about and talk about. So I have on my on my Apple Watch, I have – the watch face that has drafts. So I touch the drafts thing and I can record saying, you know, um, instead of invading your, instead of evading your to-do list, invade your to-do list. And that might turn out to be nothing at all, but I'm like, and the reason that came to mind is I was listening to a song and the word evade came up and I'm like, Oh, 
that's like different than avoid. It's evading is like, I'm like, so I'm like, I will look into that and do all that stuff. I wouldn't have thought about that or even had that thought come to mind unless Mike, I was running. I am so glad you brought that up. So I'm doing a project for Don Miller right now too. So that's mm-hmm. like afternoon. Sure. That's a reading thing. Reading I can do in the afternoon. Gotcha. <clears throat> I was asking Don when he first brought me on to do this thing. He's like, or I asked him, I'm like, how long do you think it will take? And he gave me an answer. He was like, it's 40 hours of actual work. So notice it's not 40 yes. hours. 40 hours of actual work, he said. But I know you have to take the dog for a walk. You've got to hop in the shower. Those are where ideas come from. Mm-hmm. Ideas don't come, from, come to you when you're watching the cursor on Microsoft Word or Evernote or whatever you're using. Nope. Jamie Masters actually sent me a, a year ago. She sent me the Aquanotes because they couldn't be shipped here to Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have them in my shower upstairs. They're like right there. I'm like if I'm in the shower, I'm like... <laughs> There it goes. It's right down there. My wife's, I used to, and I've talked about this before when the kids were young, um, is we had those, uh, soap crayons. So I would actually like, they were like little soap crayons that they could use, but they would also write on the shower wall and stuff like that. Oh boy. I had to clean the shower a few times. So I'm like, let me grab one of those. And I did write it down on the shower. I'd have to wet the wall in case it wasn't wet enough. I'm like, all right, like do this. And, and my wife's like, I clearly see that you're doing something here because look at this, this thing that you're, it's like all red, it's, it's like all blood. red or blue or whatever color the, I managed to grab. Cause I'm like blind as I'm like, oh, just grab this one. Um, but yeah, like you're right. Like when I'm, uh, that's why having drafts on my watch is important because I can touch it. Like it needs yeah. to be quickly accessible. Like I'm looking at my Apple watch right now. And the things that are on here are I have the time and the date. I have a two minute timer. So now that I'm doing YouTube videos, I want to be able to do a, a video in two minutes or less for certain ones. So I've got a timer on my watch. So that way when the timer goes off, cause Twitter, um, Sean McCabe was talking about this not too long ago. The, 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 the video, the shortest video you can have is two minutes and 20 seconds on Twitter. Where you can actually upload a video. That's that's what. That's he, the shortest. That's the or the something like that. Um, but the point is, is that if I can make a video in two minutes, it's usable on all platforms. So at two minutes, it goes off. If I'm just doing some random video and random talk, and I haven't done a lot of prep for it, um, I can say, okay, well, I've recorded two minutes. My watch starts vibrating. I go, oh, I've only got twenty seconds to wrap this thing up. The other thing I have on here is the workout one, so I can tap it and immediately do yep. whatever workout. I've got the Breathe app, so I can actually do some meditation, which is something that Apple has installed. And then I've got drafts. So all the things I need are right on this device. So let me let me translate that for sure. speaking, by the way, because you're, you're talking about a lot of things that I actually recommend to people. Cool. Bring it in. <clears throat> uh, I like Voxer for when yep. I have good thoughts. So just record my thoughts on Voxer. You can do voice memo on your iPhone, whatever you want to use. But most of our thoughts are easier to transcribe as they're happening or not transcribe, but to record as they're happening. So right. Vox is great for that. Um, I always recommend working out before a big talk, like okay. get that energy out of the way or sorry, let me rephrase that. Get the nervous energy out, get the confident energy in. Mm-hmm. You need to be energetic when you hit the stage. It's going to be a lot easier if you've done a workout and y'all like I have had situations where I am the most tired person in the world. Last U S election, Notice U.S. Mm-hmm. Last U.S. election. Fly to London. Find out Trump is president. I remember that. Yeah, I remember we were actually chatting. We, I think we chatted that day, didn't we? Like, because I was oh, flying, I think, that day, too. Yes, totally. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So fly to London. Find out. Land. Find out Trump is president. Grab a shower in American Airlines lounge. Go to my hotel. Go to the client. Client says, we didn't get any of this stuff. So I have to photocopy. The 45 people at the workshop had to photocopy 
uh, I think 80 page workbook for 45 people. Go to bed, can't sleep, wake up, deliver an eight hour workshop with a um, jackhammer right next door. So I'm doing this on three hours sleep. Not Dude, fun. you always, always, always though, when you are tired, a workout will help you. Mm-hmm. You just most talks are 30 minutes, 45. That one happened to be eight hours because it's a workshop, but uh, that working out will help so much. And then breathing. Is it the Breathe app that you use? Yeah. Yep. Man, the reason why people have fear of public speaking is because they don't breathe. Or that's one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. So, like, take note of the next person that you see is nervous. I guarantee you, this is the way that they will talk. They'll say, <clears throat> uh, hey, I was talking to Mike Vardy about this project, and Mike is really good at productivity, and productivity is something that's really important to me. And, like, do you, can you hear how my voice is running yep. out of air? Yep. It's because you're not breathing. Like, get in the art of taking nice, shallow breaths that will calm you down, and that will do a world of good for you as a speaker. I think hydration is another big thing, too, right? Like, I, I always have... So even though, and not coffee, I, when I'm doing a talk, like, or a workshop even, it's oh, water so and tea. Yeah. So tea is, um, uh, tea is really good because especially like when I did creative live and I did a, some videos for other is like the honey kind of tea, like the stuff that coats your throat. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're talking a lot, like, I mean, I remember when I did creative live and that was three days, three days like I think it was like eight hour days. So it ended up being like, you know, active talking of like 17 hours across the board. And they said they gave me honey tea on the stage and I have water and I would alternate. And I think that when you have that, I mean, obviously you have to time it because if you're doing a workshop, you're not going to be able to necessarily go to the bathroom. Like, you know, you want to time it in a way that everyone gets a bathroom break. You'll get a bathroom break at the same time. But the hydration part, I think is really key. And tea is part of it. Coffee. No coffee is, not going to work so, for me at that time. Mike, so many people think they should do coffee and it's a bad idea. No, it's a diuretic. Yeah. It's a diuretic and also it's the crash. Like tea, tea is that caffeine. It's the, it's the slow draw, right? Like it's a slow draw, whereas coffee is like the big hit and then the drop. The big hit and then the drop. So you yep. want to draw it out longer, right? Yeah. Uh, I would add to that. It's good if the water – this is going to sound so nuanced, but – it's good if the water is not ice cold. No, room temperature. My wife's an yeah. acupuncturist and she's like, don't, I, I rarely drink cold water because it, the energy, it actually, and this is more for, you know, for Eastern medicine, but she says you're, you're, um, you want to keep the body warm, like the inside of your body warm. And if you're drinking cold water, it can actually affect you vocal, your vocal cords. Number one, exactly. Number yeah. one, but also like it, it, your, your, your body is then trying to bring its the heat that it's into that area, which can actually cause some issues too. So she's, she, I, even when I'm working out, like it's warm, like room temperature water, like whatever it comes out of the tap, like, like that's what I'm drinking it. Not, not ice cold. That's really funny when you work out. Huh? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. I don't drink ice cold. I mean, I will, I will, uh, you know, occasionally drink cold water, like on a hot day, that's different yeah. because you want to cool yourself down. But if you're working out, like you're generally oh, not, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. if you're not, you're okay, not okay. generally trying to. Um, you know, in fact, like when I go for a run, I'm rarely bringing water with me at all. Like I'll go for a half hour run, come back and then drink water. Um, because I've done enough, you know, kind of, uh, running where like when I did an 8k race, they have the, the water breaks as you go, but I don't want to bring water with me because you don't need water constantly as you're running. You only need it at certain points. So that's why they have them timed in certain positions. Right. So, but yeah, the one thing, here's a question. This is actually, because I'm someone who does eat before I perform. 
Like when I go on, I'm not the type of like. There's some people like I can't eat before I go on. I can't. I I don't have to eat, but I'm not thrown off by eating. What do you recommend, Mike? I don't know if I've had that question before. Uh, First thing that jumps to mind is what athletes do, which is they don't stuff themselves. Right. Yeah. You know what? That's my advice. Eat. Eat for sure. Here's what I'll say. I would often. So the workshop that I used to give at Duarte starts at 8 or 9, lunch typically at 12. I always thought I was pretty tired in the morning. Mm. Turns out I was just, I didn't have enough in my system. You're just sluggish. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe sluggish is the wrong word, but just I felt like I was really, really reaching to find energy. And then I would have lunch and I'm like, oh. So long way to say, eat enough. But don't stuff yourself. Stuffing yourself, I mean, frankly, at any stage of life except Thanksgiving or something is not (laughs) actually helpful. Actually, this lends itself to another really good question. So one of the things I don't like doing, and I mean, it's, it's, it's unavoidable sometimes, is being the speaker that's on right after lunch. Ah, oh, the worst. So yeah. what recommendations do you have? Like, do you, like obviously, when you're constructing a talk, um, you're going to construct it based on that central idea. But knowing the timing of when your talk takes place is also critical, too. So, like, what yeah. advice do you give people when they're, you know, constructing a talk? If they know that, hey, you know what, I'm on first thing in the morning. Or I'm on, you know, oh, God, I'm, I'm the first talk after lunch. Like, what, what do you recommend? Oh, I love this. Nobody asks these questions. Okay. <clears throat> First talk after lunch, it would be great if you could make that a bit more interactive. Mm-hmm. So figure out a way to get the audience talking, whether that's talking back to you, whether that's huddling with the neighbor, whether that is asking for a list of, hey, uh, what do people struggle with here? Do something where they are involved because right. that crash is natural. And our friend Gary Ware is a great person to always have on oh, after because yeah. it's all about play. So he gets yeah. people up and going and there's no you there's no tr- like that's what his central idea is based around that kind of stuff. So it fits in perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and that's a good point. His is literally having them move. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be a thing too. I mean, that's a great time to have people again, this depends on the nature of the talk you're giving. Mm-hmm. Having people whiteboard on the side, having people draw those are all things that get you out of the churn of just listen, listen, listen. I've been listening. It's two o'clock. I'm ready to crash. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, what about first thing in the morning? Like, I mean, often, like I've done talks where I've been the opening and I've been the closing. So, uh, when let's let's if we bring it to that point, whether it's you're you're doing like a workshop, so the entire presentation, whether it's you you have an opening and a closing, you need to worry about that, or you're the opening speaker or the plenary or the closing speaker. Again, things to keep in mind for those. Yeah. So for the opening, one thing that you, one of the things that's tricky with the opening, especially if you're presenting somewhere, I don't know, San Francisco, LA, Atlanta, one of those places where nobody can get anywhere on time because Mm -hmm. all the highways are blah, blah, blah. Getting good at the art of starting without starting is great. So what I mean by that, it's real easy for it to be 901, 902, 903, 907, 908. All the people aren't there yet. Are you going to wait forever for people to get there? What are you going to do? It's good to have a way of starting your talk that is not essential for everybody to hear, but doesn't make the people who are on time feel like they're being punished. Yeah, I've always run into this problem because I'm a time management strategist. So one of the things I've opened with, which I always kind of worry about is, well, I'm a time management person and it's now time. So 
I'm going to start <laughs> because, which is like, you know, people get that, but then there's also that, what that does, which I'm always worried about, which I don't know if I should be, is the people that show up late, are they, is there some shame associated with that? So there's, the, yeah. the, I always have that in my head too. So I've, I haven't used it as often. I, I haven't made it like a signature thing because I'm always worried that that's going to be something that you're going to immediately alienate part of the audience because you basically shamed them. Um, but by the same token, you're there, you're the time management guy and that's what you're there to talk about. So why in the world? I mean, totally. you know yeah. what I mean? So I think it's a, yeah, the re- reading the room for lack of a better term. So with that, like what jumps to mind with that is the tone with which you deliver that right. is what makes or breaks that. Right. Because there's like the funny way of doing it that's warm, cordial. Mike Vardy feels like a friend. Yeah. Which I is... always tell people they, they should feel like the presenter is a friend. Mm-hmm. Or there's the mean version. Yes. It's 901. <laughs> <laughs> Time if to you get tried st- harder, yeah. you would be here. Yeah, you know? exactly. Exactly. So so what yeah. about the closing? Because I think that the closing is also a very tricky place to be because sometimes, you, and we've talked about this before, yeah. uh, this is where improv and stand-up skills are really, really effective to, in, in my mind because it's one of those things where you almost are like the ribbon that t- like that the ties everything together, especially if it's a like a one track kind of event. Yeah. Uh, one thing I should have said about the opening. Mm-hmm. You're the first thing that they are hearing. Right. That's a huge advantage. Make it count. Mm-hmm. Don't make it like, well, man, how about that breakfast? <laughs> well, I like Starbucks, but they serve Pete's here. That's okay with me. Right. Like that's, yep. When I say start without starting, that's not what I mean. I mean, have a way of starting the talk that is on topic, but doesn't kill the audience if they miss. Right. So it's not the big reveal at the beginning. Okay. okay. So ending the talk, a few things. I mean, you and I would both advocate for the idea of callbacks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh, reminding them, and it doesn't have to be a big, do you remember yesterday at two o'clock, Mike Vardy said, it doesn't have to be that. It can just be stealing one of Mike Vardy's phrases. Mm-hmm. It can be referencing a joke, things like that. But callbacks are wonderful, especially at the end. Uh, <clears throat> again, I would tell you, like the opposite of the beginning, this is, this is the very end. There's a lot of responsibility with that. Frankly, people will sometimes be tricked into thinking an entire conference was better or worse based on the last speaker. Right. It's the last thing they hear. Yep. So that also means if you're organizing a conference, choose that last speaker wisely. I would strongly encourage you, if you're the last speaker, have like this killer story to go out on. Um, my favorite example of that was Seth Godin when he spoke at Craft and Commerce. I forget what year it was, but he has like this. It was the first year. I wasn't there, but yeah. I heard great things about that talk. He's like this awesome story about um, having to make an emergency landing in a different place, and I, I won't spoil it, but <clears throat> I think I can link to it in the show notes because I know ConvertKit's put them up, so I think I yeah, think yeah. might be able to do that. Yeah, I would link to that for sure. But it's it's just like the perfect ending. He's like, you are going to have a decision to make. Do you want to be the type of person that blames other people for things, or do you want to be the type of person who makes decisions for themselves? And like that's the end of the whole conference. Boom. I mean, that, that's just like a great, great way to go out. One other thing I will say about closing, whatever your time slot is, plan for it to go less. Frankly, I think that's a good idea in general, but especially when you are the last speaker. Mm-hmm. And especially if this is a conference, they've been there since nine o'clock the day before. Uh, nobody complains about things ending early. No, no that's very mm-hmm. true. 
That's very yeah. true. Um, Mike, this has been awesome. Uh, I think that uh, anyone who wants to learn how to present or is trying to put together talks or, or they, there's a lot of great stuff in here. And uh, if, if there's one piece of advice that you want to distill to someone who's like, okay, I'm ready. I've got, I've got this talk I'm going to be doing. I've got this workshop I'm going to be real. I've got this presentation. Um, what's the most productive thing that they can do to get started now so that when they leave this conversation today, pretend you're ending the talk now. Pretend this is an event and you're ending <laughs> it. What's the, like, they've got a decision to make. What can, what, what is the one thing that they can do right now that's going to take them forward? Okay, I'm going to give you two. <clears throat> one is going to be about the actual writing the talk. The other is going to be about making it good. Thing number one, to get started when you were writing the talk, I mentioned the thing about boiling everything down to one sentence. From there, brainstorm the heck out of your content. Write down like every last thing you can think of that would relate to, the con to, to that central idea. And when I say write down every last thing, that could be statistics, that can be testimonials, that can be quotes, stories, case studies, anything like that, write it all down. And then take a walk, come back later on in the day, come back two days later, take a look with fresh eyes, and then try to think like your audience and say, okay, for the people that I'm delivering this to, what stuff in here, I always do it as post-it notes or as index cards, mm -hmm. Which of these index cards are going to be the things that will help them the most? You're still going to have to go through and structure it and talk it out so it makes sense. But what stuff is going to help them the most? Can I ask so, you a quick question? Yeah. With the index cards that don't help them or the post-it notes, mm -hmm. do they toss them? Because I think some people would be like, what do I do with those ones that are ideas that I don't <laughs> think will help? Because I think it's a – what, what do you think? Do you think it's more dangerous to hold on to them for a future talk? Or do you think it's just good to like – if it's that old idea, if you love something, let it go. And if it was always yours, it will come back to you later kind of thing. <laughs> I would say put it in your back pocket unless you're the type of person who can't let go of things in the back pocket, in which case go go get rid of that darling. Okay. Murder that darling. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. What's the yeah. next? So the next thing. Yeah. And then once you've got the talk all worked out, beta test the heck out of it. This is a little trick I learned from Josh Ship. Do not let the first time that you're running through the whole thing be in front of an audience. Talk it out. Talk it out. Josh actually sends, I think I can talk about this. Josh, Josh will send a, an email to, to people that he trusts and he says, okay, anonymous survey. Tell me what was good. Tell me what you didn't like. Tell me anything that was confusing. Is there anything else I should know? And that's how he whittles things down. And that's why Josh Ship. I mean, I know he, like he was in Inc. Magazine, cleared $2 yeah. million when you're speaking. Yeah. That's why. Because he works at it and treats it like a software program. It's like version 1, 1.1, 1.2. Treat it that way. Hey, yeah. Mike, this has been great. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Mike Vardy, I have loved this. Uh, so MikeTalks.co. And on that site, like a lot of people, I have a newsletter. I love sending out tips to people. Uh, and I also have a, a great freebie for you, which is seven stealth tips about presenting that they didn't teach you in business school. Because any Inc.com article or Fast Company, they're all like, adapt it to your audience. Tell stories. And like that, that's true and it's good. I just wanted to give some tips that were less publicized. So go there, sign up. You can... Download that for free, and I must say it is pretty doggone good. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. Thanks, buddy. Podcast. I love being here.